0: Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of LifeHouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Good morning, once again, LifeHouse family. Like I said, we're in part three of our This Must Be Stronger Than That series. If you have possibly missed the first two parts in, in this series, you can go online, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. Just just type in LifeHouse Newport News, and it should pull up the podcast on both of those platforms, and you can check out uh, the first two m- messages in, in this series. Uh, the, f- the first two messages, well, actually, the whole concept of this series is is based on this premise of um, the church is in a rough season right now. Statistics show it. It's very, very clear. People are, people are leaving the church in droves. It's mainly younger people in their 20s and 30s. Um, statistics show us the church right now is in a down season. But the church was born to win. God created the church and said that not even hell would be able to stop the church so basically you 've got god 's promises that say the church won't won 't be stopped, but then you 've got reality right where the church is struggling right now and what this series is is it is a series saying if the church is going to regain its power its strength, its, its authority and its purpose and place in this world, there are certain things that must be stronger this must be stronger. Than that. The first week we talked about the vision of the church, the, of, of what can be must be stronger than what has been. So many people have been hurt by the church. The church has done stupid things, said, said stupid things. Like the church has just done some stupid things and honestly have put itself in the position where it's at right now. But look, we can't deny the past of the church, but it shouldn't define our future either. What, ha, what can be must be stronger in our minds for what, than what has been? Secondly, last week we talked about how most churches die, like how there is actually books and, and concepts written on why churches die. And you know, I think stats are 80 percent of churches in this country have plateaued or are dying. And every year, six to 8,000 churches close in the United States. And there, is, and there is a reason for that. And when we studied those last and it was because the church has become inward-focused. And if the church is going to become outward-focused, the purpose of the church must be stronger than our personal, than our personal preference. So, look, I encourage you, if, if you have not checked those out, go on SoundCloud, iTunes, check those out, because uh, they are important parts of this series. Now, today I want to talk to you about how honor must be stronger than contempt. Honor must be stronger than contempt. And what does this whole concept deal with? It deals with how we view and treat people. I don't know if you would agree, but right now we live in some very divisive times. Like you just say certain people's names, Where you say certain issues, or you know, you just say whatever. And it's like immediately people pick sides. You're over here, you're over there. You're just this, you're just that. And immediately the labels start to come. Well, you're just this, and you're just that. So we take people that are full of experiences and different proclivities and different upbringings and different family structures, like all of these people that are so complex, we then take these these people and clump them into being a label. And it just seems like the church has always done a good job of, of this whole thing, of almost creating a caste system, of saying these people are more important than these people these sins are worse than those sins and it's 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 just like one of the things that people have always gotten on the church for and rightfully so is ultimately how we treat each other like how in many respects there's no difference in the way we deal with people in the church than those that are outside the church deal with people how we deal with conflict how we deal when there's disagreements how we deal when there's divisive issues And you just look at the church's shady past in dealing with people, you can see the church's, I mean, just think of the Crusades. Like they killed people in the name of Jesus Christ. You'd think the church in the past was complicit in this country in racism. Where the church created caste systems and said, these people are more valuable than these people. And we just live in very divisive times, y'all. And we have to be very wise as Christ followers to say, what does God say? What does God speak to us on how we're called to treat each other as Christians, how we're called to treat outsiders that aren't Christians, how we're called to treat people that we do like, how to treat people that we don't like? What is our call as Christians? Christ followers, but like I said, we live in very divisive times. I'm just going to throw out a few things out there, and I'm not going to ask you to grunt or moan or whatever. I'm not going to ask you to fight. I don't want to throw, like, I just want to show you how divided we can be as people. I'm just going to throw out a few names and topics and things like that. Immigration. Sides. Right? It's very emotional. Republicans. Colin Kaepernick, sides, sides. Democrats, Barack Obama, gay marriage, Black Lives Matter, Donald Trump, all lives matter, immediately sides. And what can easily be done? I mean, I can feel the tension in the room right now. It's like even saying those things, it like almost puts like a knot in your chest. Cuz me as a pastor, I'm like I know people in this church that are very on opposite sides of all of these issues. And when you go on Facebook, <laughs> <sighs> We can see how divided we are. We can see how as Christ followers how divided and ununified we are. And, and how it's so easy for us to uh, be a part of the divisive culture that we're in. And where we can have, we can take people and label them. And instead of seeing them and viewing them as being made in God's image, that image is now taken and they're viewed as whatever label you want to characterize them as. And what ends up happening is we start developing this word contempt. Contempt means this, the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving of scorn. Now, I don't, any of us would say that we want to be a person of Contempt, but how many of you guys know our faith isn't made up of what we believe or even what we say? Our faith is validated by what we do. So I believe if, if there was ever a time that we need to dig in here as a church and set some culture as, as our church and say if the church is going to regain its unity and therefore its power, we must as a church say, honor must be stronger than contempt. We're going to dive into this tension that I know we feel today, (laughs) that I know is there. So I'm going to give us a baseline that we need to build this, this foundation on for today's sermon. And that is found in Genesis 1, through 28. And that is the fact of every human being living, breathing, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether they're black, white, no matter what, about what other label we want to give them or make them, every human being is made in the image of God. Genesis one twenty six through 28. This is the creation account in Genesis that kind of lays the foundation for all of Scripture. Um... Verse 26, and this is the message version. It says, let us make human beings in our image. So basically, this is the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. Whenever it says let us, it's, that is a reference to the Trinity. God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit it says, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them, male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, produce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. So this is the foundation, y'all, that we've got to build our theology of people on. Okay? It's, It's not what culture tells us to put people in. The thing is, image... Because we are all made, all human beings are made in God's image, it gives every human being intrinsic worth and intrinsic dignity, not based on their performance, not based on their beliefs, not based on any other thing besides the fact that they've been stamped with God's image on them. Image equals worth, okay? I know in this culture of labeling, we like to devalue people and bring them down to a certain belief system or bring them down to a certain ideology or bring them down to a certain whatever. But that is de-honoring them and devaluing them because at the core, they're stamped with the hand of the creator. Do you know what this does, though? And, 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 and this is why I think we almost struggle with it because we are very good as people. In, in, I don't think we mean to do it, but we like classifications. We like levels, and let's just be honest, a lot of us like to be on the top of that level. So we create systems and we create thought process in our minds to in some ways make us better than other people, and this is no different than back in Jesus' time. This was very common. Religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, created systems that basically said, um, we're better than them. And Jesus came on the scene as God in human form, as God in the form of a person, came on the scene into this almost caste system religion that the Pharisees created. Okay, so he comes on the scene, and these Pharisees and Sadducees are hearing what Jesus is saying, and they're being like, ain't no way that's God. He's demon." Beelzebub. Like, this dude's crazy. Like, what is this guy saying? He's saying, you've heard it said, but now I say? You've, he, he's saying, you know, you, what is written in the Old Testament is good, but I came to fulfill that? And these dudes are just like, what in the world is going on? But there's this one particular scene that I absolutely love in John chapter 8 where it says there was this woman that was caught in the act of adultery by religious leaders. So my thought is, how did they catch her? Just saying. What you watching, bruh? Where you scouting? Anyway, anyway, the religious leaders find this woman caught in the act of adultery, and instead of, baby, there's something better for your life. How can we help you? Hey, you know, have you thought about what you're doing? It's, It's killing you. They take her, make her an image of shame and guilt, throw her before Jesus, and say, hey, Jesus, our law, the one that we follow, says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus like a G. <laughs> I mean, I just play this out in my mind, right? We've got Hollywood, right? So I can Hollywood play this in my mind. I can just see her going to the ground, you know? I mean, I can see this played out. And then you've got Jesus. Do You know what Jesus does? Jesus just gets down and starts writing on the ground. <laughs> Could you just imagine this? And, and they're all just sitting there like, what's he doing? I don't know. Do you know what that says? Looks, looks like he's writing my name. <laughs> but it, it says Jesus bent down, went on the ground, got up, and just said this Hey, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. The original mic drop. The original, my job. And then it says, one by one, all of these people that were accusing her started walking away. Why? Jesus took the playing field and leveled it. He said, oh, you high and mighty ones. You think you're so good and great. You brought this poor woman in here because you thought her sin was greater than your sin. But let me tell you something. Your sin of self-righteousness is just as bad as her sin of Adultery. So do you know what, guys? I know y'all think you guys are all high and mighty, but let me tell you, your sin is just as despicable in the sight of God as her sin. What were they doing? Trying to create a caste system. Trying to put a label. Trying to, so what did Jesus do? He killed it. And do you know what they actually say? Um, commentators say this, that that whenever Jesus got down on on the ground to write, one of the things he could have possibly been putting there is all of their names. That would have been a G move right right there. Ain't no doubt about it. But we see Jesus leveled the playing field, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. We're going to actually walk through this one here parable of the good Samaritan. This is uh, found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And if you have your Bible, we can, we can walk through this together. Luke chapter 10 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. So this is like a lawyer, right? This dude's coming up, hey, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Hey, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? Like, what do I got to do to go to heaven? It says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you you know how do you read it Jesus was questioning him and he answered love the lord god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself Jesus said you've answered correctly do this and you will live but 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 he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus well who's my neighbor see cuz this is what we like to do y'all We know the two commandments, love God and love people. Those are the two biggest commandments. If you were to sum Christianity up in two things, it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But this guy, and we do it too, we want to justify. But who does that exclude? What kind of label? What kind of person? What kind of lifestyle? What could Jesus possibly be excluding as my neighbor? but who's my neighbor? We, we do that, y'all. We all have got people that we're trying to, are you sure you mean them? Like, for real? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus then dives into a parable. He says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away with leaving him half dead. A, a priest, so this is like a pastor, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a pastor, a man of God, sees this dude all battered, broken, beat up, and he's like, oh, I'm good. Okay, so do so you know what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is speaking of and speaking about the very people he's telling the parable to. Jesus putting his hands up. Let's go. All right? And then though, go back really, really quick to the previous slide. It says, so too a Levite, so this is someone that's like has like godly bloodline. Le- the Levites, they were the like, you know, the bloodline, they were the spiritual ones, the holy ones, the, the, the chosen ones that the priests, the pastors came through. So they were the like good bloodline. He says, a Levite, and most of these dudes that Jesus was talking to, they were probably Levites. When they came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan. Jesus went there. Yes, he, did. he said, a Samaritan. So you've, you, you've, this don't make sense unless you know the animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. Jews called these people dogs. Half-breed Dogs that really, all they saw them as, they took them and labeled the whole class of people as not even being worthy to be called a human being. And Jesus says, yeah, but there was this Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave to him the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expenses you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, the expert in the laws? He couldn't even come to say the man's, who the man was. He couldn't, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan because he hated him so much. He says the expert, the one who had mercy on him, he couldn't even say his name. Jesus told him, go and do Likewise. Jesus took a person that the Jews hated and gave them value and worth, took him and made him the hero of the story. Why? Jesus was level in the playing field. He says, you think you're better than? No. We're all made in the image of God. We all have intrinsic value and worth. This word honor is something that is lost in our culture. Look at parents. Just just look at the way children act. I don't know about you, but I see the way some of these kids act. And I'm like, oh Lord. There's no honor. Honor in in the Bible, I don't have time to do a thorough study, but I do want to dive into some scriptures. In the New Testament, this word honor is a Greek word that is the word time. T-I-M-E, but it's pronounced Time. and what it, what it actually means is to give value or reverence to. Romans 12.10 says that be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So basically reverence, give value to one another above yourselves. Do you know what this tells you? There is not a normal human being. There is not just like the levels that we put on. People are made in the image of God. Therefore, we are called to give them reverence and honor. Not for what they do, good or bad. Not for what they think, good or bad. Not for what they believe, good or bad. But the sheer fact that they're made in the image of God. Paul says here, we are to honor them. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says this here, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a nap. but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Look at the person next to you. Look them right in the eye. Make it really awkward. <laughs> Give that awkward stare of just, just like, you know like, this is getting really weird, okay? Just, just make it awkward. I don't I don't want to see, hey, y'all, some of y'all are, like kissing and stuff, man. Like, that ain't cool. Like, okay, stop looking at each other. This ain't the time for that. You got to have to church. cook yourself something to eat and go home, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, right, love your neighbor. That's loving your neighbor, all right? <laughs> don't really love your neighbor. <laughs> okay, anyway. Oh, okay, get back on track. Woo! Get it back in. But look, at, look at that. Look at that person. the good news of Jesus Christ tells you that person that you are either a, married to, in friendship with, maybe you don't even know them. they are to be revered. In other words, almost considered holy, a holy entity. Because human beings are the crown of God's creation. Nothing else did he say that they were going to be made in the image of God, not animals, not trees. But he said, human beings, they will be made in my image. So you have to understand, there is just not a normal, regular human being. Honor isn't peripheral and scriptural, it's center. It's central. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honor, time, God with your bodies. Honor God, revere God, consider him holy and value and of your worth. Secondly, Ephesians 6 two it says, honor your father and mother. Can all the parents say amen? amen? Which is the first commandment with a promise. Parents, your children are to honor you. And I know in our culture that almost seems like, are you kidding me? You need to, by God's grace, instill in them that you are God's divine authority in their life. You are put there to be the hands and feet of Christ, not to bash them, not to get angry at them, but to be God's sharpening tools in molding their character, their conscience, and their purpose in life. Don't be neglectful because you have a culture that tells, tell, tells you and tries to shape you in, 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 into what parenting is. Let scripture mold you and shape you about the way you are to think about how you raise your kids. And you are called, and they are called to honor you because if they don't honor you, they're, they're not going to honor their boss. If you don't teach them to honor authority and you are God's divine authority, they will develop a pattern in their life of dishonoring the authorities that God places over them. And you need to, by God's grace, and look, I know parenting in this day and age is absolutely tr- like God help you. It's like juggling knives, right? It's like... So many things that you gotta think through and pray through and walk through. But that's why you have a church family. Walk through this thing together. First Timothy five, seven First Timothy five, seventeen. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I'm not saying this just so I can get a pat on the back. <laughs> right? I'm not saying just but I just think that we have that we have to make sure we understand leaders are put in the church to bless you. We are not here to burden you. We are not here to, to bash you down. The leaders that God has placed in this church, we want to honor you as God honors us. And, and look, through, through that, Scripture says this, that we are to honor our leaders. Not, you know, but at the same time, that can go the wrong way. Like, some of y'all hear that, and it, just, it sort of makes you cringe because you were in churches to where the pastor was, was kind of viewed as being the king. So we had like bodyguards and, you know, he had like armor bearers and all of those things. And it's just like, it was almost like an unhealthy honor where it was almost creating a culture of like, you know, bulletproof cars and stuff like that. Like I remember one time being in Horseheads, New York. Horseheads, okay. So this is like upstate New York. And there was a guy that was coming to speak. He would not come and speak unless he had a bulletproof car. I was like, bro, you in horseheads, dude. The only way you're going to get shot is if someone's hunting and accidentally misses the deer and like it's not going to happen but at the but at the same like there was so here's the thing that can be that can be improperly placed that can be improperly used but at the same time in the house of God there's going to be a culture of honor. 1st Peter 3:7 I said 1st Peter 3:17 last time it was wrong. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your eyes and treat them with respect. And that word respect there is, is the same word, honor. Teammate, honor your wives. It says, as the weaker partner, and that means physically, as hairs with you of the greater gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What Peter is saying here, men, honor your women, and if you don't, your prayers aren't going to be heard. There you go, ladies. you got a good comeback next time. You want your prayers heard? Better honor me. Better show me some honor. Better show me some value and some worth. Of course, you know this works both ways, right? But remember that. Yeah, but no. But 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 what he's saying here is that in the home, husbands and wives, we've got to set the standard with this. We can't be telling our kids honor honor us when y'all aren't honoring each each other. It's like you want your kids to honor you, but, you won't, but, but dudes, you won't even honor the wife God gave you. You want your kids to respect you, honor you, ladies, but you won't even respect and honor the husband that God's given you. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. This is Paul here talking about the body of Christ and how we're to act and how we're supposed to kind of function. And the Bible says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor, time, to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What it's saying here is there is no unimportant part of the body of Christ. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you need to play that part and be that part in the body of Christ. Because you might think, oh, it's just the door greeter. It doesn't matter. Oh, you know, I'm just serving coffee. What's the point? oh, you know, they don't need my money, you know. It's like No, but it's like the thing, what he's saying here it, it, is every part matters. Every small part, big part, whatever matters. I mean, think about it, y'all. Like what, what stats say is that when people come to church, they make a decision whether they're gonna come back a second time t- to the church within the first 10 minutes that they're at the church. Do you know who doesn't matter? Me. So if somebody comes to a Church, they're not like, is that past the preaching fire? Is that past the preaching like Stephen Furtick? Did their worship team sound like Elevation? No, like what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, how do I feel when I walk into this place? Am I going to be honored? So do you know who honestly who's one of the most important teams of this whole whole church is our hospitality team that welcomes people as they come in and, and, and it starts in the parking lot and works from the parking lot all the way to finding a seat. There's no unimportant part in this church. You might say, well, you're on stage preaching. That's just one part. I'm not more important than you. You matter. And you deserve honor. It's not just honor me. I'm to honor you. I'm to honor you for the part that you play. Because we're all working towards the same goal. To be the hands and feet of Christ. And then to be the hands and feet of Christ to the world out there. Honor goes out there. 1 Peter 2.17 Says so proper respect to everyone. Everyone love the family of believers. Fear God, and this is the one that got me honor the emperor. I ain't saying nothing else. James three nine through twelve. Y'all can study that on your on your own. Study that in your quiet time. Jesus, check this out James three nine through twelve. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. This is James diving into kind of, he's writing to a whole litany of churches. It says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. See why I don't sing on the worship team? It says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and then with it, we curse human beings. have been made in God's likeness. So he says one minute you're in here praising God and then the next minute you are out there cursing the very human beings that were made by the God you were just worshiping. He says, my brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water Salt water flow from the same spring. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Do y'all see these scriptures, just a few scriptures that talk about how honor should be in the church. It should be in the family. It should be when we're out there. It should be in the relationships within the church. Honor is not peripheral and scriptural. It is central. And it's built on the foundation of our humanity as being made in the image of God do you see this hopefully you get the whole idea the the scriptural the biblical basis the biblical foundation we have now how does this work out practically for us corporately and for us individually I'm going to start with us corporately with our church we have core we, we have core values at this church a core value establishes how as a church we will make decisions and determine what is important So as a church, we have core values that we say as we make decisions as a church, these are the things that are going to propel us to say yes or no to them. Our first core value we talked about last week was mission over preference, meaning we will always make decisions with our church that aren't easy but always forward the gospel even if it's hard. The mission of the church will trump our personal preference. Okay. Secondly, our second core value as a church is this, honor Everyone. Honor everyone. What does this mean? We will honor everyone at this church. If you're living and breathing and you walk in these doors, you will be given value. You will be given worth. Not because of any label someone puts on you, but because of the label you've been stamped with by God himself. That's made in the image of God. We won't agree with everybody. We won't see eye to eye with everybody. But we will honor every person regardless of race, age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, political affiliation, or any other dividing label that we want to put on each other. That doesn't mean the life house endorses every type of political affiliation, sexual orientation, agenda, every belief, practice. But it does mean that we do endorse as people, every human being, being made in the image of God, and therefore worthy of respect, honor, dignity, and an opportunity to hear about, accept, and live the life that Jesus offers. Honor doesn't mean endorsement. If so, if that's true, if you don't think that's true, how was Jesus a friend of sinners? The biggest gripe that people had was, wasn't was with what Jesus did, but who Jesus associated himself with. And we've got to be sure that as people that live in a very divisive nature, a very divisive culture, that wants to divide and conquer, not just out there but in here, that we have to start with the foundation of honor. So here's what we will do with this church. We will honor everyone while holding a biblical conviction. We will preach it, we will live it, and call people towards it, towards a life that pleases God. It is important to understand that we can honor someone and still disagree. I know for some people that, like, is impossible. But for the people of God, it needs to be possible. It's actually attainable to honorably disagree with somebody. And honorably even go forth with what you feel is a better agenda, honorably, not putting people in labels, not tearing people down, but honoring them. How does this honor happen though? Like, what does this look, look like practically? And I'm gonna have the keyboardist just for accountability for me. This lets you know I'm closing, okay? <laughs> this is my first closing. <laughs> Got three more, so I'm just, I'm just kidding. Now, so how do we? So that is what our church, like for us, corporately, lay some groundwork, laying some culture of what we believe about people and how we're going to treat people here. But also, too, how do you almost apply this to your life? Like, how does this concept of honor? How do you gain this? How do you develop this? How is honor then the filter you start to see people through? I think a couple things. First off. And I, you know, think about what, let's apply this, so, so just think about in your head of a person that you have a hard time honoring. So I don't know if that's a particular people group. I've, I don't know, right? Like in a room this size with this many people, I have no idea. So just in your mind, put a person there or a people group or whatever. Just how can you apply this? Well, I think if you wanna to start to develop in a culture of honor or a lifestyle of honor in your own life, I think you have to do a couple things. First off, you have to get close enough to hear someone's story. I think it's so easy for us to have a concept of something or somebody, but no context. And you're telling people, you should just be better. You should just fix it. You should just, and we start yelling out these orders and these things of what should be done, but we've never actually taken time to get to know the people we're yelling at or we're not taking the time to get to know the stories. Like, you know, everyone's been in third grade. Everyone's been in junior high school, the terrible junior high. Like, everyone has experiences that they've gone through that have shaped them to who they are and why they do what they do. And we need to understand, we need to get close enough to hear some people's stories because a concept with no context always breeds distortion. Hiding behind a keyboard does not bridging context. Not only do we need to get close enough to, to actually hear someone's story, we need to try to understand their battles. Everyone is fighting a battle you don't, that you don't know. That person that yelled at you in traffic, you don't know what could have just happened to them. You don't know what news they could have <laughs> of just received. I remember being in Starbucks one time and I was just sitting there back in that little vault thing on over on J. Clyde. And there was this woman in there, and she was just on the phone and she just started bawling crying and I you know I'm sitting back there. I'm trying to get work done and I'm like she's she's like wailing and I'm like I'm you know, trying to type my sermon and I'm like, Good Lord, what's wrong with this woman <laughs> I mean what a jerk right like what a jerk i, I am right and then I and then I just you know I just want you know I just kind of felt led you know once she kind of got off the phone hey is is everything okay? Is there, any, is there any way that I can actually pray for you? And she had just gotten news. Her son just got she's got cancer news. never know what someone's battling, y'all. You, know? you never know what someone has gone through. And the worst thing we can do is try to just put people in labels without sitting down and listening and hearing and understanding. Also, though, like we can we can honor people by what do, what do they vow, like? What value do they bring? What good is What good is in them? What gifts do they bring? Be someone that finds value. But the thing is this, honor is a filter that we develop and we see people through. And what I pray for you is that God would, as a church, individually and corporately, you know how on filter Instagram, you know, you you take a picture and you give it a filter? that says you're going to view this picture and your perspective of this picture is going to be viewed through the filter of black and white or something else. That's what honor is, y'all. Honor is a lens that you put on you too. Now you see people not as just being a label, but you see them as a, through, through the perspective of being someone that has a story to their life. They've got experiences, good and bad. They've got a family unit that they grew up in, maybe with a single mother, uh, with crazy parents, with, with divorced parents. They had experiences happen. They were born with, with, with these desires towards certain things. I mean, who knows what people are walking through? And the worst thing we can do is just throw our fingers up and say, get better, change, do this, do that, without actually listening and getting into their world, understanding their battles, and finding their value. Honor's got to be the filter that as a church we see things. You know, honoring people was how the church overcame the Roman Empire back in the day. It was absolutely crazy. The Roman Empire had plagues and people were like dying and, and it was crazy. And the only people out there caring for them were Christians. Do you know why? Because the founder said, every human being matters. They were like, whether sick, whether poor, whether destitute, whatever, you go and love humanity because humanity has intrinsic value and worth because it's made in the image of the creator. And Christians just took that as, well, if they're living, if they're breathing, they're my neighbor. I'm going to serve them and love them. And what some Christians actually did is took on the plague sickness, helping and serving them, and they actually ended up dying. Christians were the ones that, here's the thing, back in that culture, woman culture girl babies were not looked at as being prizes they were looked at as as being burdens because they wanted guys so what christians did people would actually birth these kids and take the baby and put it on and put it in the trash heap and christians started seeing this and they were like nope made in the image of god you give that baby here we'll we'll love it we'll take care of it why because it's got intrinsic value Worth. In that's how what orphanages got started It's because Christians said those little babies are made in the image of God. You know the first person to be excited about Jesus being born was a baby in the womb. John the Baptist leaped inside of his mother's womb when Jesus, when, when he heard the news that Jesus was gonna be coming his cousin. If it's living, if it's breathing, Christians are called to give life. Christians are called to be for life. Christians are called to be people of life and honor and add value and add worth to anything living and breathing. Why? We've been given honor by God. Now we give honor to others. Honor doesn't mean agreement. It doesn't mean we condone. It means we can honorably disdain disagree, but we have a filter of honor that says beyond what you do, beyond what you say, you were made in the image of God, therefore I'm gonna give you the honor that God gave me. Do you know honor, God honored you when you didn't deserve it? God gave you worth, God gave you value. Think about it, when you were dead in your sin and far from God, Jesus Christ came down, lived the life you couldn't live, died the death, you should have died in your place and for your sins and purchased for you a life you could have never gotten on your own. Essentially, he gave you honor. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I'm giving myself for you. You know what something's worth by the price what someone is willing to pay for it? God thinks you're worth the death of his son. He valued you, he gave you honor. And now, as honored people, we give honor. Not to get honor back, but because we've been honored by God. It's, honor's the gospel, y'all. Honor is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my heart, that as a church, we would be people of honor. So here's the thing, my question to you is who have you dishonored? Who do you need to get closer to, hear their story? Who do you need to understand their battles and find their value? Can we all stand, church? We're gonna do two things here, closing up. We've got about 10 minutes left. We're gonna have prayer, we're gonna have prayer teams they are gonna come down here, we're gonna sing a song. I know today's message was heavy. If you do have questions or you have whatever, you can come and talk to me, set up a time to talk. I just don't, don't know, but I don't want any, anything to be misinterpreted. But I want our church to develop a culture of honor. God to us, us us to others that finds the value in realizes none of us are better than others. We don't create caste systems here. We all have value, we all have worth, we're all important. Not because of, but because of God. So look, this is what we're gonna do. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just, just kind of create a time of privacy and, and focus. We'll do two things. One you've never received the honor from God. You've you've never received God's honor through his son Jesus. You've never made a a decision to receive the grace, love, and forgiveness that Jesus offers. When I say God honored you, he really gave you value and worth because of what he did on the cross in your place and for your sin. And today, you want a fresh start. You want to receive that. You want to receive a fresh start. You want to to start following Jesus. And today, maybe you've, you've done it in the past, but you know you've gone off course. Maybe you've never made that commitment today you you want to. All I'm going to ask you to simply do whether quietly or out loud, whatever. I'm just going to ask you just to say yes. And as you say yes, that is a public or, or, or that is a private confession of saying, Jesus, I allow you into my heart. I allow your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your honor to overtake my life. So I ask you just to say yes. Just say yes. To open up your heart what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. And, and look, whether you said yes or whether you didn't, we're just gonna to pray together. And we're, we're, going to, uh, we're going to join in with those that are saying yes to Jesus today. And we're just all gonna join in and, and pray. So, so look, if you said this, if you said yes to Jesus today, I want you just to pray this, this out loud with me and everyone else here is gonna join in with you. All right, pray this out to me. Jesus, give you my life. I give you my heart. I receive your honor your value and your worth that you've given me, shown through you dying on the cross in my place and for my sins. And I receive today your love, your grace, and your forgiveness and your hope. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for a new vision, a new hope. The old is gone and the new is here. Jesus, I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. LifeHouse fam, can we just put it together for all those that said that prayer today? Listen, if you said that prayer today and you seriously meant it, you said yes to Jesus today, look, this is what we want to do. We want to celebrate. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchinam.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.